I am Ishan Nand, VP of Product at Egeo, and my co-host today is Anthony. Hello, hello. My name is Anthony Campolo, and I'm a developer advocate at Egeo. And yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Big news in the world of JavaScript. And um, I already see we got some peer from Netlify, actually. Which was really interesting news especially given the acquisition of OneGraph in the last year. And I'm curious, Anthony, if you want to give your take on it as somebody who's been in the ecosystem for a long time and thought so far. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, There's a lot of different kind of currents going along with it because when, so we go back to like beginning, like the before times when the Jamstack was first being invented, the, what I think the main players were Netlify and Gatsby. And there was like a very tight workmanship there in the sense that most people who created a Gatsby site would deploy their Gatsby site on Netlify because they made it really easy. They were some of the first taste of what everyone loves about this current deployment paradigm and what so many frameworks now offer you, which is the ability to have a single command that builds a static site that then gets deployed to a URL that gets handed to you. So that was like really what I think kicked off a lot of what made the Jamstack so cool. And then you ended up with this weird kind of sideways turn where Gatsby decided to create their own cloud and to compete with Netlify. And then you ended up with this kind of like weird separation between the two. And now it's like they have capitulated, I think, and said, we want to join the hive mind here and actually just become part of Netlify instead of try and have their own separate thing compete with it. So that's how I would describe like the macro. There's also some interesting GraphQL kind of undercurrents to it, which is that they Netlify had acquired one graph and turned into Netlify graph last year. And then not too long after maybe six months or so in December, they announced this is no longer accepting users. If you're still using this, you can keep using it for now. It was kind of a weird cryptic thing just thrown into their docs. And I didn't even know about it till today when Fred pointed it out to me. And Net and Gatsby just created this thing called Valhalla, which is like abstracting out their GraphQL content mesh from the framework into its own thing, which is the equivalent of one graph, which is also the equivalent of a product I worked on for like a year called Steps Then. So that's also happening under the service as well. But I think that's less important than just the fact that now these two companies are one company and that's a lot of people and a lot of, and interesting to be right on the heels of Netlify laying a lot of people off. So yeah, there's a lot to say about it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. It's the thing you talked about, probably the biggest thing is this, I'll call it a, a VC thesis, which is you have these popular open source tools or packages or frameworks. And the question is, how do they monetize? How do they get return that money back investors if they become an actual company? And there was or appeared to be this model when, for example, Remix took money, when a lot of these frameworks took money, which is actually different from some of the previous generation of frameworks we've had in the past, where say, for example, like jQuery is actually under a foundation. And there was a recognition that maybe depending on how you look at it, they were undervalued in terms of their impact on the market. And there might be other ways to leverage that value. And so what we started to see is, as an example, a lot of companies, they would offer, it looked like 
hosting at, paired with as the framework. And we are the best place to host that. And it seemed like Gatsby was also going down that path. And it's interesting to me when we look at the ecosystem as a whole, the one thing Netlify historically had been was more agnostic to that. And when they started, they were not necessarily aligned, say, to a particular framework. Seen over the last 12 months is there almost isn't frameworks left that are non-aligned to a cloud platform in some way or form. A really interesting state of where the ecosystem is, especially given the macroeconomic climate we're in right now, where uh, a lot of that VC money that was funding open source may create a funding gap when they try to series A or a series B company to a series C company. So it's, you can look at the moves in the past as maybe that model doesn't work, or you could also interpret this as maybe that model does work. And now Fi has one of the most popular React frameworks under their umbrella. So it's to me a little bit of a Rorsch test on that kind of, shall we say, monetization thesis of open source. All of the major open source React frameworks now have the backing of a for-profit company. Remix is on Shopify, Gatsby is on Netlify, Next.js is on Vercel. And, and then there's a reply to it, very much similar to what we're talking about, where it's felt as Vercel solid and Eleventy are being sponsored by Netlify. So it's a really interesting impact on the ecosystem, even... On the other hand, as much as you were talking about what's really interesting that Gatsby innovated on recently, eventually, in some ways, a competitor to OpenGraph, and it's actually a more backend thing, which is really important for one graph, not OpenGraph. Building, which is, if you look at the speakers at Jamstack Conference, which is organized and run by Netlify, there was a lot of presence of Gatsby either as a topic or as speakers. The Even down to the details of Vercel and Next created ISR, incremental static generation, or an ISG and ISR. And the Netlify Gatsby one, I think they called it deferred static rendering. As much as it's you might look at those and think, oh, they're all basically the same, there, there are little details that are slightly different between them. And those details were much more closely aligned to Netlify and Gatsby in terms of their way of thinking of things. As an example, like, there is a, a very strong adherence to a principle of immutable deploys in the original version of DPR, although they changed it so they had compatibility with ISR later. And that was also kind of Gatsby's version as well. So they, they also seem to be very philosophically close. So that was another way that I think this seems like it's it might have been natural as a joining of forces. So in some sense, we're already culturally aligned in a lot of ways. So Also, we got Ryan Carniato in the house. I'm going to ask him to speak. Oh, yeah. Cause... Let's get his take on Hey, Ryan. Thanks for joining. Right. For anyone who does not know, Ryan is the creator of SolidJS and someone who works at Netlify. Also, we have Matt came up to speak. What's up, Matt? Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, hey, everyone. Thought I would also just be in and say hi. I would assume a lot of people already know who you are, but feel free. Ryan as well. Yeah, I'm I'm Matt Billman. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Netlify. Yeah, I think you guys gave me a little bit of an intro, but I'm Ryan Carniato. I created SolidJS framework. I also worked on Marco framework at eBay and joined Netlify in May to work on open source. First off, congrats on the big news. I'll throw the first question to Matt. Just the obvious question is, how should the ecosystem and users of both products interpret it and what it means going forward? Yeah, they should be excited. Excited! I'm excited to welcome the Gatsby team. We, of course, at Netlify, 
we've always had a framework agnostic strategy as a platform, right? It's always been my view that there will never be a single front-end framework that's the best choice for all the different types of use cases and challenges and experiences out there. And it's always healthy to have like choice between different approaches and so on. And that's still going to be absolutely true for Netlify going forward. In, I think we have a lot of opportunity to reopen Gatsby more and let it function more as a true open source project on its own right. And then I'm really excited to incorporate some of the innovations that the Gatsby team has been working on at the cloud and infrastructure side, both in the, like, the build speeds they've managed to achieve. And I'm keen to be able to apply that to the whole framework ecosystem. And then in terms of the Valhalla product, that the Gatsby team has been piloting with with some of their larger com- customers that are really aimed at taking sort of the core strengths of Gatsby in terms of the source plugin ecosystem, and making that available to, to, to the whole world of modern front-end frameworks. I've believed for a long time now that the next, that one of the next barriers to to this sort of whole mainstream adoption for the Jamstack approach is really once you start building a self-standing front end and you start talking to all these different APIs and services where some are internal and some are external, the architects thinking through that kind of setup also need some more robust patterns for actually getting the content and data out of those services and into the front end. And I'm excited about Valhalla for that reason. So one thing that came up, I saw Fred, for example, from Astro, send a tweet earlier today about noticing that one graph was shut down. How do you relate this to one graph in your mind? So it's very much part of the same vision, right? As I said, I've, I've believed for a long time that, that this kind of middleware layer is going to play an important role in, in, in the future. Launching Netlify Graph gave us the opportunity of talking through what people need from this middleware layer with a lot of different customers and partners and so on. And we learned a lot from that experience and from having Netlify Graph living in, in, in Netlify Lab. And obviously, like the what we are aiming to do with Valhalla is very much the next step in, in that journey. And I'm also excited for the OneGraph team to, to be part of building that. Like they, they bring just a ton of experience to, to this whole area. Okay, so if I was to repeat back what I've heard, it sounds like basically this is going to be Valhalla being integrated is the next generation of, of kind of the work that was started with one graph, and one graph is definitely being sunset, at least so to speak. Yeah. I'm sure someone else has this question to hear, so I'll ask it on everyone's behalf. What does this mean for someone? So I didn't know the background of what Netlify did and the whole story. So what does this mean for someone trying to use? the product in the in three months from now. Got it. Okay, Matt, maybe I should turn that one over to you. Sure. Obviously, we already have a lot of customers that, that have been building with the open source framework in, since their early days, more from the early days than from the later, late, later days. For those customers, like this will just lead to an even better experience. And then for customers that are not using Gatsby, we will be able to take a lot of the, of the technologies that Gatsby built to to support their framework and extend them to the whole ecosystem of front-end frameworks. That's both in terms of techniques for, for improving the time it takes from you update a piece of content and until you have a new version of your site live and and in terms of like their source plugin ecosystem that, that we can make available. 
as someone like that works on the, the data side, you probably won't see a, a lot of difference day to day from this. But if you do have a data source and you want your web teams to be able to build visualizations and dashboards and toolings around it, then the source plugin ecosystem and the Valhalla product can probably be relevant in terms of making sure that you can get that data into a UI in a way that is not going to put load or stress on your data source. So Richard McManus at Newstack had some coverage in you, and it was also a topic we talked about at the very beginning is Gatsby was themselves trying to build a platform, a cloud infrastructure platform of their own tied to their framework. What do you think this means for the thesis of you have an open source project, gets VC funding, and the way to monetize that is by building a cloud platform around that particular framework? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. There's obviously still a lot of challenges to open source monetization in, in, in general. And there's often, I think one of the challenges we saw with Gatsby was that as they started building a platform around their framework, they also started to feel less open in the sense that some of the features were suddenly more tied to their platform than to a project that you could really take and run everywhere. That's one of the opportunities to reopen Gatsby a bit in that way. But I think that's often a risk you start seeing with some of the frameworks that, that try to monetize through a platform specifically for that framework that to really make that motion work. They also do have to try to make it harder to use the framework in other places. We're really committed. I'm sure like Ryan can speak to that, to not forcing the open source frameworks that we help maintain and build to be like Netlify only. And I'm also like constantly looking into what, what are ways that we can create also alternative avenues for open source projects to thrive and monetize than just the, the VC background. Could you describe, so I see has a hand up and Chris does as a question, he's on deck, but maybe Ryan, jump in if you've got something to, to this. But the follow-up question to that is, what are those alternatives? and Or what is the durable competitive advantage you can say to a VC? I'm trying to imagine, what do you say to your VC about your monetization strategy if you're completely platform agnostic, if you're in a framework? Or what is the other way to monetize that you'd suggest? What is the, they're between a rock and a hard place, right? If you're a framework creator. Yeah. The thing is, there's the expectation to be able to use a lot of these tools for free. So you, you have to really think about what kind of angle you can do. This is very challenging. I like, the, because these things do require money. Like we live off the donations and the support of our patrons. Netlify has been supporting solid for almost two years now on the donation side. And it does make a difference, but that's still, you know, compared to being able to work on it and be, have that kind of resources a completely different game and i wanted to say it is really cool to see this kind of progression on open source and what we've seen like happening inside of netflight mac can obviously say this stuff and really everyone can go this is a good thing but i'm living it and i work on the os team along with zach from 11 and i guess soon many of the gatsby team members but more than that, I, we work right next to the integration teams that work on making sure all the other frameworks work on Netlify. And while these are slightly different teams with different objectives, it's really cool to see how much we can get by working together. This is why I'm very excited about a lot of stuff with this Gatsby Choir, because like we're talking about 
more tools and capability that we can add to lots of frameworks. And yeah, this just grow, just continues to grow, which is amazing to me. So I, I, I want to be clear. I personally, as a developer, love the framework agnosticism on both sides. No developer wants when vendor lock-in. And I have, we have, in our own experience, ran into the same problem where frameworks had features that they never had a clear specification for, behaviors that are off book, so to speak, but yet exist on the cloud associated cloud platform. So I appreciate that as a consumer, but I'm trying to look at it from the other side. Like what options, so I totally get there's a lot of synergy here, but what are the other options potentially you think in the ecosystem for open source frameworks to monetize? And because there's a lot of investment that goes into the work Ryan, you do, and look at all the amount of dollars that have gone into Im improving build tooling and things like that. So do you have any thoughts on what that might look like? I'll try one more time at this because yeah. it's challenging. But I've talked to a lot of other OS maintainers about this as well, because we, we look at it and we've got, it feels like there's only like a couple choices. And most of them are come with some kind of heavy trade-off. The most obvious one is find yourself a company or create the company yourself that basically will invest in the framework and it because they want to use it. Like the framework is the tool they use to build their main product. They're invested that way. But then, of course, your whole roadmap is determined by that. This is what the larger companies too. I worked at eBay um, on Marco, right? Like essentially the framework serves eBay first and then others beyond that. And same with Meta and React and all of those things. So it's good because people will put, money into it and you will be able to get staff and you will build things that are important to the company. The other option is try and raise money to make a business out of the framework. But as I said, it's essentially free. So you're kind of like in this interesting place where you're like, do you make money on consulting? Do you make money on tertiary analytics? Do you like make money on, it has to be something else, cloud providing. And I think we're starting to see that the trying to like start with the framework and make cloud challenging thing to the point that in the last few years, the last couple of frameworks that have made companies, it isn't terribly clear to me what the outcome is of that yet. I don't know if it's clear to anyone, but we know we need the money. So I'm not sure. And, and then I tend to what, usually say yes to money. <laughs> but then, then what we're, the, I was talking to Tanner at one point and he was like, look, I've done a good job in open source in, building a brand he's maybe we could build a brand around like he's set of libraries or framework and then people i could just kind of sell that brand off continue the work open source and then maybe they can pull it in and i'm like i told him I'm like i don't know do you, does it lose credibility now that it's i don't know I'm, I'm, some company's query instead of a react query it's all a query like or tanstack query rather does it lose credibility there does it stop being what like benefit you're giving to that company, does it stop actually being that benefit? I'm not sure. And then option number four, which is the one I'm happiest with uh, right now, obviously, is find patrons, find companies that have aligned tertiary vision that don't necessarily depend on you building it, build their product, but maybe it, it, it has some positive impact. So far, that seems to be a lot of the deployment side of things where I find myself here in Netlify, where there's some synergy. There's also a lot of openness in the sense that we don't have like Netlify's infrastructure isn't built using SolidJS. There isn't that like that tie-in. It keeps keeps it open, keeps the spirit of it. But the trade-off there is that's a large investment to ask for perhaps in something that might be not exactly the what the company is using it. So well, like all of these Another way you can yeah. look at it is that there's investing in like a brand and there's investing in like a person. Like they're not just investing in salt. Like they're investing in you. 
Brian Carniato. Brian Carniato is awesome. <laughs> so just by hiring you, Netlify gains because of your engineering ability and your just experience and your connections. Whereas to give maybe a counterexample, you look at when Narwhal purchased Lerna, they were buying Project, the brand. It wasn't necessarily a person so much as Lerna, the tool that already exists as a thing integrated with people's projects. So I think there's times where it makes more sense to invest in one versus the other. And sometimes a project comes along with good people. Sometimes a person comes along with a good project. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It's just interesting, though, because there's, it seems like there isn't any single way to tackle this. And it seems like all the ways that we see a lot of them, especially a lot of times when we try to build businesses out of things that might not be businesses, are, are face a lot of challenges. It isn't clear, but we know we all use and need this software. I, as I said, I, where I am, I'm just super stoked to have this opportunity. I want to let Matt go, because it looks like he was coming off mute. Matt, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say the one thing that's, that's a bit unique to this like front-end framework ecosystem and front-end ecosystem in general is that we haven't really seen... A, we haven't really managed to get success across our industry in, in, in setting down any kind of like really influential open source foundations for that. I think that's a bit of a difference when you look at a lot of the open source software that drives the infrastructure we're all building on, right? Like where foundations like the Cloud Native Foundation or the Apache Foundation or the Linux Foundations and so on have to JS foundation yeah precisely right but i think there's a set there where for example kubernetes is is it's very char characterized by like you have very large strong competitors investing a lot into the same project because it's really shared infrastructure right and once you get to that scale, then you start having a sort of stability and open governance and so on that that feels that that will give the whole sense of long longevity to the community around it and i think maybe it's because the frameworks and the tooling for building ui by necessity changes so often it's like the expectations to ui's changes so often or maybe we just haven't found the right construction yet but i think that's something that we still haven't really seen success with in the front end space yeah, definitely is a challenge. Okay, yeah, I'm Christopher Burns. I'm the CTO at Everfund, and we're building an SDK for creating things on the web. And my big question that I have is, what's the immediate benefits that customers of Netlify will see? And what's the biggest benefit of customers of Gatsby Cloud will see? Because there's a lot of interchangeable technology that each platform has built independently, and how can they come together for all frameworks to enjoy. Yeah, there's different pieces of answers to that. There's the cloud system where, of course, over time you'll see us unite the two products. So there's just a, 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 a Netlify cloud platform and, and not two different ones. But obviously like the Gatsby cloud team has made a bunch of innovations that's been driving their product and that's been working really well for them. They've had the advantage also of starting their cloud product later and being able to really see what does this kind of cloud product look like and think from first principles. So there's some of the things that, that we might have evolved over a long time that, that, that will have like better responses in, in, in their infrastructure and their technology. And then other things where our cloud is just so ahead in terms of the scale and type of customers we've, we've been working on by now that obviously that's going to be the way ahead. But in short, like over time, you can expect us to help getting faster build times to, to everyone and better edge cloud product to everyone. And then of course, 
the Valhalla project I've mentioned a couple of times is the big new product that will come out of this that will really allow you to use like the source plugin ecosystem that, that Gatsby pioneered together with any modern front-end framework. It, this morning I was building a little demo of Valhalla with solid start just to play with it as an example. Ah, that sounds so tight. I'd be curious if Chris would be interested in Valhalla because he tried a very similar product once known as Stepman. I'm super interested in seeing how products can integrate with Gatsby Valhalla and also how it can basically take that need of having a database and an API away from that front end web developer and just not have to worry about it. Get to lob those GraphQL queries over the wall, get back whatever they want, live in the dream. Sometimes you don't get as much of the dream as you want, but yes, that seems to be the front end developer. Like Chris, I think what Chris just said there is very much the front end developer dream. Everything's an API. I don't have to think about anything else, whether it's databases or infrastructure in general, which makes a lot of sense. Bro Nifty, I think you are up next on the, on deck. Yes, thank you, Sean. Hi, everybody. And I, just, I actually wanted to make a comment to the patronage subject, specifically to Ryan. Yeah, I feel Ryan's like, he's a brand himself. Everybody knows he knows pretty much at least as much as any of the best people like on the React core team or the best of the best. So it's kind of like you're if you're doing patronage and you can bring Ryan under your umbrella, you, you not only have access to him as a as a consultant, but also anybody who and whoever else you're he's helping who's helping him but also a complement of oss contributors who are also contributing so you have the entire stock of people who yeah we have a new issue and like maybe it serves netlify that's fine whatever it's to the greater good right so you have that whole base so you're getting like more than you bargained for in, in terms of that so i think i pay people to consult me i put them on retainer just like mentorship and help me answer questions that are difficult and things like that just because you need i'm not smart enough to answer these questions so you need people to help you but so ryan yeah ryan's like number one so i would say that is really good bet i don't have any commentary about anything else though oh go ahead ryan what were you gonna say i was just gonna say thank you it's very kind i do appreciate being in the position and the opportunity opens up. And I'd like to think that the, the relationship is mutually beneficial. I, I think there's a, I think it's, I think it's always good to have a, your ear on where things are heading or what's going on and getting to work. I got hired on for OSS. Obviously I do a lot of work on solid, but this has also been able to facilitate really cool things. Like I, I, was benchmarks that the guys over at Builder were working on. And we were benchmarking like a bunch of different on the server, everything from Quick to Astro to Nuxt. And having that kind of opportunity to do that kind of stuff as well. I started making demos in most frameworks just to kind of like get an idea of how, what the feel was. Shout uh, some out of it's stream. Yeah. And just like why predict the future when you can build it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was like the kind of thing, right? Like that kind of R&D is sometimes difficult to find time for it's not just r&d though because it also promotes goodwill and i've you saw a little while ago this kind of been a topic that kind of came up around the fall all these kind of co-tweets between javascript frameworks on twitter and like a lot of really like mutual and whatnot and i feel like this is the kind of environment that can promote that and i think that's really good because that's how these ideas propagate that's i learn a lot from other frameworks and i look at different things different people are doing and to have that kind of opportunity in the environment to to be able to do that is just incredible yeah first off ryan i think 
even before you were sponsored by Netlify, I think you've just done an amazing job with Solid. A huge amount of respect for what you've built. But if I was to rephrase what you described there, Anthony was listing off this idea of you invest in the brand versus investing in the or the persona or the person that's at the host as much as you invest in the product itself. I think there's another benefit here, which is the ability to short circulation in and influence in the ecosystem as a whole through both the framework and relationships that are built and cross-pollination of ideas. So it sounds like what you're describing here, which is really powerful. I guess going back though to this question of like monetization routes, you had mentioned when we were talking a little bit earlier, you mentioned, for example, Tanstack, and you had this conversation with Tanner Lindsay. And for those who don't know, he's created a variety of popular open source React, originally React-focused frameworks like React Table, now been renamed Tanstack and React Query or Tan Query or Tanstack Query. And I actually had a very similar conversation about this topic with him at Jamstack conference. And the perspective he gave was very much echoed by what you were saying here. But in his case, he's concerned about the strings. When it's VC money, you have to worry, what are you potentially saying yes to? That follows on that expectation. And he's in a position that just enjoys the open source work he's doing. But he also has come up with a novel monetization strategy to a limited extent, which is Tans the React table or whatever it's been renamed to now is sponsored by AG Grid, which is you would have thought is a competitor. It's a competing kind of table product. But one of the things he said when he announced it was that he learned that the audiences for both are actually different. And in one sense, you know, he's been onboarding to people eventually migrating there. And that was an interesting way for him to look at monetization that I thought was fascinating. When we think about other ways for open source work to get rewarded, that's one potential way. Yeah. If you find the angle to make that fit in, because one product almost being like a funnel into the other one or being like a kind of, you can cover the whole range and it makes a lot of sense. I do think JavaScript frameworks in how ambitious they are might have a bigger challenge in that sense like it does feel sometimes at least like externally you're like is this just has to be a battle does do these things have to be competing with each other directly because they're both trying to like what take over that portion of the world so yeah i think matt already covered it pretty quite well when he was talking about foundations and different ways to things might be ultimately the way because i at a certain point this goes beyond what a single author does. It's for solid uh, right now, this is a really good place to be. But if they, when things grow to a point that react type heights of things, I think you're talking about a very different kind of situation and consideration. But I suppose by that point, there's probably other things there that are options. I think it's, I think it's tricky to get to that point without having some amount of funding behind it though. Yeah, the last thing I would pop in in terms of axes to think about these things on, I always found what Tanner was doing really interesting because he didn't build projects first and then try and monetize it or figure out a way to make money on top of it so much as he built tools that were immediately useful to him in his business that he was already doing. So they're like forged in the fires of real use cases. And then it was something that everyone else was like, once they saw he had built it, they were like, hey, I want this to the point where they would actually start paying money to make ensure that it continues to survive. So I think that's a cool model. And it's when I first heard him describe it, I said it was like open core inside out because you start with building something for a business and then open source it versus starting from open source and then build a business around it. And I think that's something that hasn't been explored to the same extent. 
Yeah, I'm going to pivot us a little bit to another came up in the coverage of this. And it was in actually Richard McManus at the Newstack when he wrote his article and he interviewed you, Matt. He had a section where he basically said, is Jamstack still a thing? The definition seems to keep changing. And he, he walked through kind of his understanding of the definition and how it's changed over the years and what this this new change is a reflection of in terms of the definition. Do you want to elaborate on to you what Jamstack means today versus what it meant like half a decade ago? Yeah, I think the whole ecosystem around it has evolved so much from when we started out, right? Like when I coined the term, the ecosystem around us was on the one hand, sort of very community driven, open source, static site generators like Jekyll and Hugo and Middleman and Roots. And on the other hand, application frameworks like Angular and Ember and the, an emerging React, but it was very early days, right? There was an API economy emerging, but like just the massive dominating tools for building for the web typically was based on your choice of backend determining how you were building your front end, right? So people would pick Ruby and Rails and they would get the asset pipeline and everything from there and the choice of template languages. They would build a store with Shopify and now their front end developers have to work in Liquid and instead of constraints, so they would build Drupal and now there's like a whole set of choice for like how, what's the constraint of what kind of user experiences can you actually build or in large companies, maybe there would be customers of Adobe Experience Manager and everything would be decided for them around that, right? And from the start, the key thought behind coining a term that was a category shift was that I thought that we would move towards a world where we would decouple the web experience layer from the whole backend layer and treat that web experience layer as essentially its own application with its own built tool chain, its own deployment layer, its own release management process and everything. Back when we started, the way to do that was uh, static deploys, right? Like static deploys to a CDN. Then in 2017, Netlify, we introduced Netlify functions as a part of our stack and opened up a new set of possibilities. And then in the last couple of years, we've seen edge functions emerge as yet another sort of runtime layer for this stack. But I still don't think that there's any like any name or nomenclature that better describes the sort of fundamental shift we've seen in the web architecture of today from tools like WordPress and Drupal and Ruby and Rails and Shopify and Magento and Adobe Experience Managers towards this whole modern world of self-standing web frameworks from Next to Gatsby to SwellKit to Solid Start to Astro to 11 and so on. It's just been a very foundational change, right? And I was, at, I was on this code podcast with a code school the other day and explained some of this change. And the guy from Scrimper that, that ran it said, it's interesting, right? Because if you describe this, most of our students will never have seen the old world, right? Like they will never have experienced it. They just take it for granted that you built these web UIs as self-standing experiences. But that really wasn't the case, right? So in that way, of course, there's also a certain like level where we start just talking about modern front end as the nomenclature. But I still think if you want to describe this architectural difference between the monolithic approach where every 
single website, web app or web store. It's one application grouping both like the user experience and the business logic and data access. And then to the typical modern approach of building self-standing web UIs. Like, I, I haven't seen a term that describes it better than Jamstack. I'll, again, remind folks, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage to ask questions. There's a lot to unpack there, some of which was in the article. The first question I want to ask is, it feels like there has been a, wind has been at the back of the API first, headless, Jamstack, composable over the last, let's say, five or 10 years for, because there was a lot of investment in technology, like anybody who was software world, even if you weren't a tech company. And so it's very clear you need to invest in a developed type solution that gave this type of audience and persona a lot of, of power to perfect the interface and output. It feels like there's some headwinds that are related and some that are only partially overlapping that like, for example, there definitely seems to be an approach against very heavy JavaScript frameworks. There's potentially a push against the investment it takes to migrate a website, say a legacy site to a monolithic from a monolithic say architecture onto a decoupled architecture because it requires development work. So there's this investment that you need to do to get there. And right now, in the macroeconomic environment, people are trying to figure out what their budget's going to be, especially in enterprises where it's run partially by a procurement department. And they're like, okay, right now, this idea that we need to be a software company, even though we're producing these other widgets, necessarily a high priority. Do you feel like you see those headwinds or what's your interpretation of that? Um, I feel more like we're like crossing the chasm, right? If you look at, at a signal like just WordPress adoption, WordPress was, yeah. was growing in market share until the middle of last year, right? And that was the point where it finally started to stagnate and now it's slowly decreasing, right? But I think a lot of those developers that are not the very early adopter crowd in, that are constantly looking for new frameworks, but are more in the world of, look, whatever we pick, we need to have some stability, right? We can't, we're not able to spend the majority of our time re-engineering our web front end every year, every two years. We need some more stability. I think we'll see that all of us as vendors have to build some more tooling for them. It's one of the areas where Gatsby and Gatsby Cloud has had a lot of commercial success in terms of the sort of mid-market to enterprise businesses that also need a, a like where Gatsby being a bit more opinionated in how you connect to data, get it into, I built with it, has been really useful for those developers to get from one place to the other faster. And I think in general, now that we are entering this stage of sort of this category fundamentally going really mainstream, right? All of us will also have to think about what does that mean for the next set of tools that we need to offer to this next set of developers. That's really interesting. Are there other areas that you feel the ecosystem needs to solve, whether it's on the frameworks or the vendors? So obviously you talked about the integrations. We've, I talked about the issues with certain client-side works. Are there other things that you think the ecosystem has to solve in order to push us over the chasm? Some of it ideally comes to, to, to some of these foundational pieces of governance, right? Like I think once you start making decisions in very large companies on building something that's going to stick around and that you are going to keep developing on open source projects that are not just open source, but that also have open governance, 
in open apps are gonna be gonna be really appealing because you need a level of stability and you need to know that you don't suddenly get a set of completely breaking changes thrown at you at a keynote or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. There's long-term stability. The other piece that's obviously one of our strategic directions is as you start making this more mainstream, we also have to make it easier to get the data from all these different data sources, both internal sources and the headless API, headless commercial systems. We need to make it easier to get them out of there and into the web UI. Okay, that's an interesting list. Do you... Do you feel like, I don't know, I don't know the polite way to say it, so I'll just say it, like, do you still feel that WordPress, so to speak, is the enemy still? Or what's your view on those that ecosystem? No, I really, I'm just not the person to perceive the, the world so much in terms of enemies. And also, like, from where we are sitting, like, just if you look at Netlify's customer base, right? Like, it's every use case and vertical, right? Like, from... Twilio's core product engineering team building the core of Twilio with Netlify to Unilever.com replacing Adobe Experience Manager with Netlify for all of their properties. Luxury brand e-commerce like Sennheiser building their storefront on top of Netlify to old school retailers building their omni-channel UIs with Netlify and so on, right? So it's such a big, like the total web space is so big that it's not so relevant for me to point to a specific like enemy. It's more like a fundamental re-architecture of everything to be composable, right? Whether it's sites or stores and apps. And a lot of the legacy systems keeps living on, right? So one customers have like more than 2,000 Drupal sites sitting around, right? And they're not going to be able to go in and re-platform every one of those and rework them to different headless CMSs and so on, right? But they do want to be able to iterate on the visual experience of those with without relying on, on, on Drupal. So in that way, like they need this middleware to get the data from the old sites into new front ends and so on, right? So I bet it's one specific target it's more like a large broad foundational change in 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 how most businesses are actually building web uis another area that i've come across is this is a movement that started with developers and sometimes the non-technical stakeholders ability to modify and edit and control either the content or its look and feel in a lot of setups can be constrained and adds more friction ironically on those people but the developers have full reign and sometimes the content folks are told and they're non-technical at all right you've got to write markdown and they're like this feels backwards if they're used to a WYSIWYG editor do you feel like the ecosystem has solved that or it's still on its way to solving that I think there's still work to do. There's still work to do. And lots of different work going on across the industry to to solve both the intersection of like how the developers built these tools and how the content editors and marketeers interact with it and how developers built these tools and how designers and design systems flow into it. There's still a lot of innovation and a lot of work to be done in that space. Is there anybody that stands out that you think is doing a good job there? And solving it. Are there many different from like companies like Storyblock that sort of built more of the visual experience into a hitless CMS or companies like Stackbit that sort of abstracted that layer and brought in marketeers in a multi-origin system to companies like a Builder that are really innovating in the sense of making 
the component library, what decides how content editors can get visual editing and interact there. There's just really a lot of innovation going on in that space right now. Okay, great. We are basically at our time slot. So I'll turn it over to you and Ryan if you have any last thoughts and anything you want to to leave us with. Okay, I'll go first. Honestly, this whole thing and this news, I know there's been a lot of talk about Gatsby in different ways, and this is the kind of world I live in when I see it. I'm very excited to have that experience on the team, and I'm very excited to be working closely with people with this experience to because there's not that many out there who have built things that are large JavaScript frameworks used by so many people. And to be able to bring that into Netlify, be able to bring the, the, those ideas out, talk, integrate. I am very excited for the future here. And I'm looking forward to things just only getting better. Great. Matt, anything else you want to close it off before I wrap up the session? And no, nothing special. I'm just more excited than ever for the future. Okay. Thank you, Matt and Ryan, for jumping on. Thank you, you know, our regulars, Chris and Bro Nifty. Thank you, our uh, developer advocate at Edgeo for hosting. I want to remind everyone we are here every week at 12 p.m. San Francisco time on Wednesday. Anything JavaScript or it's web not our Pacific time is now San Francisco time. So. It's Pacific time. <laughs> it's the New York of the West. U.S. Pacific time zone. I'm just... If you think I'm too San Francisco-centered, I'm not in San Francisco, although I used to live there for quite a while. But yes, we're here every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, to talk about anything web development or JavaScript related. Next week, we will have Josh Goldberg, who will be talking to us about TypeScript, and he just did a crash course on TypeScript for us. In fact, if you went to the Jamstack conference or you saw the Jamstack state of Jamstack survey or the state of JavaScript survey, TypeScript is off the hook. Everyone who uses it loves it. That You can't say that about almost everything else in the ecosystem. So if you've been meaning to get on the TypeScript train, now is the time. We have a great crash course that Josh did, and it'll be here one week from today to answer questions and talk about TypeScript. And definitely check that out. You can go to javascriptjam.com to check it out. And while you're there, feel free to click and subscribe to our newsletter. And with that, Anthony, I'll let you close us out. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really great to have this conversation. Thank you, Ryan and Matt, for hopping in and talking about this. I'm definitely going to be sharing this recording around for anyone who wants to learn more about this because we went very deep into it and yeah Ishan already said we'll be here every week and yeah unfortunately I do not have Scott's usual closing music so we're just gonna have to end it right here but thank you so much everyone for being here and hope to see you next time